0: Hey Zach Henderson here. Welcome back to the podcast and happy 2024. Today's episode, I am chatting with my old buddy, Alex Salkin. You may know him on the internet as the Hebrew Hammer and he is one of the best coaches in the kettlebell and bodyweight calisthenic training space. So if you know me, you're probably familiar with his work and we decided to hop on a call Uh, after his trip here to Nashville a few weeks prior. And we just started riffing on New Year's goals and resolutions and all that fun stuff. So I just went ahead and hit record. So when Alex pops in, we are pretty much in mid-conversation. But I just wanted to make sure that you as the listener didn't miss out on any gold. And you sure didn't. So here is... Alex Sulkin. Your goals for this year. Go on, yes. sir.
1: Yeah, my, my goals for this year. One of them is to have better concentration skills because <clears throat> I'm convinced that a, a, a huge part of um, a lot of our problems is just staying focused. You know, like on the one hand, like we'll take it from like the fitness perspective. Obviously, some of it is that people have unlimited wants and then limited amounts of time to achieve what they want. And for that... You know, I'll often try to work with people on like, okay, what is the biggest priority, and then we arrange things in a way that it's likely that they'll uh, have a shorter path to hit other goals. Like, you know, just as an example, I've got a uh, t- a challenge which I define as something that you can, uh, in most cases, attach to whatever else it is that you're doing, and then it'll be a complementary thing to your current program, whatever it is, as opposed to something that's just going to wear you down. And I like, at a gal from Sweden. Uh, Ask about like how should I, how should I order these different programs and challenges that I have from you? And one of the things that, one of the things she wanted to do was improve her kettlebell snatch, and then the other one was, um, uh, do this challenge of mine called Superior Posterior, which is about glute training. And um, so I, I said, you know what, I wouldn't do them at the same time. I would do Superior Posterior first, and then do Conquer the Snatch, which is the snatch challenge, because that way. You will have built up enough like um, low gear torque, let's say, with uh, the slower movements found in superior posterior. And you're not going to be overdoing it on hinging movements or or glute training in general, which is what's more likely if you try to combine these two things. So there's that. But, you know, the other thing is that I think because we're constantly inundated by notifications and we're constantly like just assaulted by advertisements and colors and uh, distracting things very easy to not be able to pay good attention and that's why Hollywood has to cut shots every seven seconds is just to keep people's attention um so I think uh you know a lot of times the superpowers that people should be considering developing should be stuff like being able to pay attention uh not needing to be connected all the time being able to just be by yourself and think being able to be bored and then make that something productive you know like ideas come to you problems you want to solve. So I'm pretty convinced that, you know, the more easily I can institute something like that, which for me means not being on my phone as much, not checking email every, you know, second minute or whatever. It'll probably be a big boon for me overall, which means I can help more people overall.
0: Right. Yeah. Concentration and focus is, is a resource. Yeah. It's a resource that you have, almost in unlimited supply but it's constantly being plundered Mm -hmm. it's it's constantly being stolen and doesn't take much and it oh of course it's like having you know it's having like the world's you know biggest greatest oil field and uh just like um that guy in there will be blood he he comes over with his straw and he drinks your milkshake yeah right he he takes your resources right out from under you and oftentimes, we don't really realize it until, I mean, kind of in a way until it's too late, until like you actually have like a project that you need to get done, where, you know, this is something that I tell coaches, trainers, small business owners, trainees, uh, clients, anybody who, you know, has any sort of a goal, but they're just like, you know, either, either I can't get traction Or, what always trips me out is when someone says, Oh, I'll get this done in six months. I always raise an eyebrow and I'm like, You could probably get this done in less than six days if you actually concentrated on it. Yeah. But people sell themselves short, or in this case, maybe sell themselves long, as the case may be, according to the calendar. Yeah. And people just kind of bank on the fact that they are going to waste so much time and effort and concentration and and that's really a shame because like you said concentration is really a superpower
1: i also think in addition to concentration it's your ability to go from task to task without a lot of downtime you Mm -hmm. know because it's like i uh this is again i'm looking at i actually don't mind finding things that i'm not good at like i don't have the uh misconception that i need to be better at all the things i'm not good at but there are certain things that i think improving at actually will help me with and one of them is uh, not needing a lot of downtime in between tasks so like for instance um i've got a list of like thing. i can't really see it but i've got a corkboard and i've got a list of like six things that i've got to do every day And they always get done by the end of the day. But the problem is that a lot of times they don't get worked on until the end of the day. Now, some of them aren't as pressing, but, you know, they're mostly pertaining to uh, business related things. So like, you know, putting out content and and things of that nature. And very often, like all I would really need to do, and I've I've made it a point to do this more often, is that I try to batch certain things together and um, get them all done as quickly as possible and then move on to the next thing and you know provided that you've got a pretty clear set of directions and you just have to kind of work out the details it's usually pretty easy to jump from one thing to the next but yeah i think that um for me for sure i'm guilty of the whole like oh this might take a lot longer and i kind of think it's like smarter to just be like well what if you just like crammed to see if you could get it done i mean i remember in college now and by the way this cram but not like i'm thinking of from the standpoint let's say of um, info product creation—it's got to be something that's still high quality. So part of it is that that management axiom that time expands or a project expands to fill the time uh, committed to its completion. So if you give something a very short amount of time, very often you can get pretty good, you know, pretty good end product. Like I've got a couple of things that I've written that, uh, you know, I had the I had the idea in my head to begin with, and I had the most important kernels basically worked out um but uh but yeah like i got them done in a day like i just sat down banged everything out and it was like it was done um it's very often it's like when you force yourself to concentrate yeah you can do a lot more but the thing is is that i think the reason people don't continue to do that is because to it to some degree they associate that with kind of like a, a like a bad emotion like i was really stressed and pressed to get this done so i was able to do it but why would I want to do that every single day? Even if it would mean you're much more productive. Whereas if you looked at it as like an adventure, like okay, I want to see just how much I can get done, and I'm going to chronicle it. And if I if I reach this goal, I'll give myself like a small like prize of some sort. Like I'll go out and buy that cool shirt that I saw, or like you know I'll uh, I'll go out and you know get some ice cream after dinner, you know, or just something like minor like that. So if if it turns into something of like an adventure, like yeah, there's still this. Sort of stress associated with it, but you're if you can make it something that is not, uh, like learning how to swim by being shoved into the deep end, but make it a game, make it something that's you know fun and enjoyable. I think people would be much more likely to do it, um, uh, much more frequently.
0: Yeah, it's so funny that you mention like really hustling to get like a product done because I've had the exact same experience over this past year getting youtube videos done yeah you know like it it can easily take me a month you know from scripting to b-roll to you know everything that you gotta film and edit and post and post production and yada yada yada. and i remember i remember vividly i i thinking it was like a i think it was like a friday morning and I thought to myself, I bet if I hustled, I can get this video out by Sunday night, like soup to nuts. Like, you know, it was a quiet weekend, not too much going on. I'm Like, it's it, it may not be the most fun thing, but I bet I can do it. And I did. And yeah, I mean, was it fun? Not really. It was kind of tedious, but I would rather take a shortened block of time and just Just laser like focus. And it's like every hour, like you're chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, away. as opposed to half an hour here, half an hour there. And then before you know it, it's like, you know, three months has gone by. And that's the, it's no wonder people have like these, these kind of airy fairy in the clouds timelines of like when they're going to get stuff done. And again, speaking to your point, it's, it's not like I, you have to do that every day or yeah. every weekend, but having that gear in your mind that you know you can shift to when you need to and when you want to is very liberating. It's very freeing, you know, so then Definitely. you don't have all these things piling up on your to do list.
1: You know, I forget who it was. There was a there was a. A rabbi who talked about when he was going to yeshiva, which is like uh, a a Jewish seminary, like a male Jewish seminary, essentially. Generally, like the people who become graduates of the yeshiva, not always, I guess, uh, but often they'll go on to become rabbis. And he talked about how he he was living in Jerusalem at the time, and you had a very walkable city. You know, there's also good. Transportation and everything like that, but I guess the the location where the this particular class was was one that would require the students, relative to where their dorms were, to either take a bus or to you know walk or or whatever. But the and everyone was required to be there, but the class was only five minutes long. And the point that the teacher made was he wanted them to see just how much learning they could get done in five minutes. And mm. I think so often, and this is definitely the case for me. It's better now, but it, like I see uh, the same thing with me. I'm like, oh, I just don't have like that much time to devote to it. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like every week, I am at 9:04 a.m. on Sunday morning. I am shamed <laughs> by my the notification I get on my phone telling me how much time I spent on my phone daily, on average, and is always like a ridiculous amount of time, like four and a half hours plus. Um, and so I think like. What if I put four and a half hours, just like a minute here, five minutes there, 10 minutes there to like something that would be more productive and I just didn't have my phone around? It, I mean, it it really could be anything. It could be reading. It could be writing something. It could be... It, it wouldn't matter. But like, you know, what if I took that habit of I'm going to grab my phone, sit on my couch, just scroll for a little bit, kind of like mindlessly, you know, do nothing. I mean, frankly, I could just this would probably be even more productive. Just sit on my couch, stare at the wall and do nothing because eventually you get bored and you want to take some action. But I think it's the distraction that keeps you from using your boredom to do something productive. And um, this is one of the things that I why I think being uh, trying to be less distracted will probably be valuable to me. And again, part of its concentration, being able to concentrate for longer periods of time before my concentration breaks. Um, And then the other thing is just being able to be more productive. Like, I think probably my favorite example is Dan Kennedy, who I'm I'm sure you and I've talked about in the past. Um, in fact, I'm drinking from a magnetic marketing mug. Oh boy! Right yeah, nice. yeah. I'm really drinking the Kool-Aid directly from their their mug. Um, but quite literally, yes. He has. He doesn't have email. He doesn't have a cell phone. You cannot mm-hmm. call him. He has a fax, not at his house, but rather. If you need to like even his clients, like people who are paying him tens of thousands of dollars a year for his his coaching, they know they're only going to get contacted him by a certain like at a certain time for a certain amount of time at on certain days, whatever. There's no like, by the way, here's an email. Um and you have to fax his secretary, who lives in a different state, who once a week We'll will mail like a big huge thing to him, and then he'll go through it. He'll block out a bunch of time. he will go through everything, make notes as necessary, and then when he's got to do a call, you know, for for the people who are who are um, uh, who's who's coaching, he'll have all this stuff ready. So he'll have, have like a file or whatever, and he'll. But yeah, but that's one of the things he said. I was listening to a, a an old talk that he he gave, and he said, you know, I think I bet if I spent my entire life. He said his his weakness is donuts. And he said, I bet if I could spend my entire life, uh, I, would, I would eliminate my will to have the donut. But the better thing to do is just not put myself on a Dunkin' Donuts where I'm going to be tempted. And he said, that's probably the same thing for you guys with your phones. You're tempted all the time and you have your phones on you all the time. And so rather than try to not be tempted by your phone, just don't have your phone on you at all times. You know, like don't be reliant on it. And, you know... It's so easy for that to be the case. Like just this morning, I woke up and I was like, I got to see what's on my calendar. My calendar is on my phone. Somebody messaged me. Let me see what they said. And then it's like from there, the more things you do on your phone, the, like the more of a necessity it is for you, to, or not a necessity, but the more of a likelihood it is that you're just going to be on it in perpetuity. And then next thing you know, you're like, I really don't want to finish this task. I'm going to put the rest of it off for you know an hour from now. I'll just scroll my phone, see what's going on, so on, and so forth. It's a vicious cycle. And uh I'm I'm gonna break it.
0: Yeah. Well, well, good on you. And uh, you know, it's it's funny. I just off the top of my head can think of two examples from the music world of guys who kind of adopt that same Dan Kennedy esque being off the grid. Um, I was listening to uh a podcast, I think it was Huberman with um Oh, uh, who's a music producer with a big beard? Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, yes, yes, yeah. yes, of course. And I think Huberman asked him, like, hey, how does how does like the business side work? Like, do you have a manager? Like, how do you find projects, artists? Like, how does the collaboration happen? And you know, Rick Rubin, he's a bit of a a modern day guru, kind of yeah. head in the clouds kind of guy, which you know, some people may or may not resonate with, but he literally just goes, I don't know. He says, I don't know how it happens. He goes, I don't, he goes, I don't deal with paperwork. He goes, I don't deal with business. He goes, I don't know how much I get paid. He goes, I don't think about any of that stuff. And Huberman is like, uh, okay, bro. Like, what like, what do you mean? Like really. And so, of course, I don't know how much like tongue in cheek or how real this is. But yeah, um, Rick Rubin is just like, I don't deal with any of that stuff. So I'm sure he has a handler of some kind or a business manager of some kind, obviously. But the, the principle behind what he's saying is very, very powerful. He's like, I don't devote any energy to that. I don't devote any, you know, undue time or effort to all that stuff. He's like, I'm just focusing on the art and the project. And yeah, granted, you could say well, someone like Rick Rubin can get away with something like that or saying something like that. But on the other hand, that's probably how he got to be Rick Rubin. Is just by like not cutting corners, not nickel and diming people, not creating drama around, you know, business and and the details. He's he's maybe a guy that you can just trust to be wholly devoted to the art. Yeah. To, to his, to his art. And uh and the other example, um, again, I kind of heard from a podcast, uh, is um uh David Lee Roth. Supposedly David Lee Roth does not own a cell phone. And if you want to get in touch with him, he has a handler who he just talks to. Whenever anything it comes through that he needs to hear about, he gets it straight from his right-hand guy or gal and she's the one that has the phone she's the one that has the calendar so that david lee roth can do david lee roth things you know so he does he how just imagine guys like that guys like david lee roth guys like rick rubin can you even imagine those guys wasting 45 minutes
1: scrolling on their phones no i mean they've made they've created uh, life in such a way where it's never going to happen you know and I, I think the key to their success in both cases is that they're in the business of self aggrandizement. And I try to be in that same business. And I tell people this. It's like uh, when people are like when I first meet people, like, so what do you do? And in fact, I had this conversation like at least half a dozen times when I was in Nashville because I was there for the FKT kettlebell uh, workshop and, uh, you know, I just meet up with people and chat and so like what do you work you know what like what's what do you do and i was like yeah i have my own online business and uh, there were and you know if it's like people in the fitness industry there's like a shorter um say a shorter uh, line for them to understand that it's kind of about like me versus people who are not in the fitness industry They're like do you sell equipment you know do you sell your own programs is it like so i but i tell them like it's a very self-aggrandizing thing like i really I only sell like the info products I've created, like courses and programs. And you know, a course is like designed to teach you a skill that you don't currently know, or maybe you're not very good at, and you want to get better at. Programs are designed to like mix complementary skills to help you get. It's like you know, putting ingredients together for a recipe and learning how to do that. And then a challenge is to, like fill gaps with things that you probably haven't spent much time on, but should. And then guides are kind of like general things, you know, like how to make your like uh, bulletproof shoulders is a. A guide that I I've written, and it's basically just about all the stuff that I've found to help my own crappy shoulders feel a lot better, and the reason why they help, and why we end up, you know, with all these problems. And but I have to tell people it's just very self-aggrandizing. You know, I'm not in the business of try, like if somebody's like, hey, I'm trying to lose some weight, what should I do? I'm like, I could answer your question, but it's not. Re- I'm not really an expert in that stuff. Like, meaning I could tell you the ins and outs, but I couldn't tell you like I could tell you what, I couldn't necessarily tell you how. Like I think it's in some sense it's easier in the fit if you're in the strength training or exercise world because you're like, well just do this and then here's how you fix your technique, you know, try to do this that most people are like less averse to exercise than they are to eating differently, which is something that's so on autopilot and whatever. So I, I don't deal with it and I just tell people you should, you know, talk to so and so instead. I, I just I don't think I'd be I wouldn't feel right taking your money. I'll take. I'll be happy Fair. to take your money for these things that I'm I know more about, but uh, but yeah, that's why I think I'm convinced that's why Rick Rubin. I mean, the other thing too is you have to produce good results. So people come to me because they've heard others say, "Oh, I I really like this program that Alex did" or whatever, and they talk about it on, you know, forum or on Facebook or something like that. And then it's like, think Rick Rubin, you know, like every everything he touches turns to gold, pretty much, you know. Like I think about it in terms of metal. It's like dan- or rock and roll in general. Danzig's first album um worked with metallica um well it was did he help him on the black album or was it just they they had a more recent album that i know that he helped them on but i don't know if if he'd helped them earlier
0: yeah you know i don't know i want to say the black album was bob rock bob rock
1: i think you're right yeah yeah great nickname or great name by the way for a a producer of i mean yeah uh (laughs) red hot chili peppers blood sugar sex magic you know mm-hmm. so like yeah everything he touches is like incredible and then he goes on to the next thing and then like maybe the next thing that the band puts out is not as good or not as iconic or what have you not the case in in, in the examples i gave necessarily but um but yeah he's he's got this legendary status so i think he can break a lot of the rules that people who do not have this aura about them and this guru type status uh have to kind of abide by. So that's why I think I think about it like, you know, years ago, I read a book that became uh, infamous called The Game by Neil Strauss. It was all about the little known inner world of pickup artists. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting because reading it, I was like, you know what, in some sense, like some of the stuff that they're doing. Makes sense, but a lot of it was like now it's very played out and people kind of like know what to expect, and so you can't necessarily do all the same things. But the guy that Neil Strauss followed around was a guy who went by the he had a nickname, and his nickname was Mystery. And so, um, I evidently what he did was he, I think he was from Canada, but every weekend he would come to the States. This was a simpler time, this was like before 9 11, and you couldn't just walk across the border, and you know, you actually had to go through customs and you know, get accosted by customs officials but i think the story was that he would go to new york or something like that or or he would go to somewhere in the united states and he would test out these things that other people were talking about on the internet like the old school internet and he would write down figure out what worked and then he came up with like this own his own system and of course you know his his goal was not to find like a wife and stuff like that it was just go and hook up with women and and have a good time um but I remember reading through the book and I was like, all this stuff seems really complicated. It's like, I mean, I understand like the rationale behind it, but it's like you have to dress in a way that you stand out and you gotta have like some shtick that you do. Like he would do magic tricks, you know, you gotta have like a nickname and all these other things. And one of the big things they talked about was like try like if there are a group of women and then there's a there's a, a guy who's there, he would be called the amog or the alpha male of the group. And I remember thinking, like, why don't you just become more like the alpha male instead of trying to do all of this, like, rigmarole to, you know, attract. So, but that's the whole point is that, you know, Rick Rubin and David Lee Roth, and Dan Kennedy, these are people who've produced these, like, incredible results. And so they create their own rules, which if we were to just start doing them, like, right now, right out of the gate, probably wouldn't work for us. Like, you have to have this sort of larger than life Uh, aura about you in which case i think then you can take advantage of stuff like that and of course you just have to move in that direction it's and then slowly but surely start implementing these things but um that's but yeah every time i hear stuff about like rick rubin i didn't know that about about david lee roth but that's the first thing i think of is like they're doing the right thing because they're in the business of being themselves and who they are and what they do is just completely transcendent and obviously a part of it too is that they're not trying to be like anybody else they're just doing what they like what they think sounds good or what they think is cool or or gets them whatever it is that they want and, uh, and people just fall at their feet it's like that's a far simpler path i mean it's yeah it's difficult but it's far simpler in terms of you know all that other stuff
0: yeah well i mean again i think to to tie a bow on on this kind of general line of of conversation no matter who you are you can start to create this space by eliminating distraction. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's like if you, if you ever want to rise to the top of your field or even just be a little bit better this year than you were last year, the only way that's going to happen is through dedicated effort and through, and through creating that space. So, Yeah, that's one of the things that, man, I think you could probably make it uh, a good argument for anyone's New Year's resolution is to go into your calendar. And if you have a, let's say, 90 minute to three or four hour opening in your calendar, just block it. Just block it. And whether you take a walk or you take a hike or you read a book or you write, You know, that's that was one of I think the big unlocks for me probably four or five years ago is and I'm I'm still not, you know, necessarily a a a decent writer, but I took enough deep work blocks to work on my writing to where I I was able to move the act of writing from something that was almost impossible for me to do. You know, it it's you know, I don't necessarily have a, a huge fear of public speaking, you know, thank God. A lot of people do. It's almost like the equivalent of just getting somebody to stand up in front of five thousand people and you know do improv. That level of like almost feeling like it's impossible was the same resistance feeling that I had to writing, and the only way that I got over it was by researching writing tips, writing methods, which really uh, it just all comes down to doing it. I, I hate to yeah. say there's no like shortcut. But through a series of a few weeks, which turned into a few months of racking up these these blocks of writing practice, at least it got that particular skill out of the negative and at least somewhat into the positive. Yeah. And um, actually, now that I think about it, one of the interesting uh, exercises that I did, a little tidbit for those out there listening, is I would open a Word document and turn my screen off. So that the screen with the obviously the computer was on, but the screen was blacked out. And the goal was to stream of consciousness right for 10 or more minutes. Wow. But you literally can't see, you know, you can't see the screen. So again, that's just one of those things to where like if I didn't take the time to read a book about that technique, and then most importantly, actually do it and do it again and again and again and again, like that, that skill would have never developed. And if that skill never developed, then, you know, that the downstream effects are huge. And as, as we know, skills compound, Mm -hmm. you know, the best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. The next best time is today was the same it's the same thing with our training you know man if i had started lifting weights even just a couple of years before i actually did i mean maybe by now it'd shake out to be the same but you can you can just imagine wow if i just knew everything that i know now a little bit earlier yeah how much more powerful that
1: could be definitely yeah and one thing i'll mentioned i thought about the weight thing by the way um And for me, because a lot of people think that I I would say for people who are only interested in getting in shape for themselves, like that's actually a reasonable thing to ask themselves because they're like, if I keep putting off the next thing that I've got to do, it's going to be two years down the road. I'm going to be like, God, if I had started two years ago, think about how much better shape I'd be in or how much better I would be eating. You know, but I think for me because I'm a uh, because this is my job I also think well you know because I sucked at it for so long and was frustrated for so long that actually helped me in the long run because I think I can uh, I can relate to people a little bit better but I I would definitely say on the business side of things I think about that all the time you like I started collecting emails to you know do email uh, my my daily emails like in 2014 but I didn't even send my first one until 2016 like I literally waited two years before I took any action. And there's no question that if I had had the kind of um, the kind of knowledge, if I had a two-year head start on the kind of knowledge that I have now, I would certainly be, you know, uh, I, I'm i happy with what I'm doing now. Very happy with, you know, how far I've come. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think in, in exactly those terms. And it's rare that Uh, Sucking for a longer period of time is really going to do you any good. But you know, I'll say one thing that I also think that um, I have found helpful because sometimes, and for some people, making a sudden like about-face change is sustainable. And then a a lot of everybody seems to want to go to that initially, but not everybody can really hold on to it. And so I think the blocking out a certain amount of time is is very valuable, whether it's ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes. Or whether it's five minutes I think it depends on your level of anxiety about about the thing like you know I remember I did the warrior diet for like let's say about 10 years and for those who are not familiar um that uh, is like the the we'll say the progenitor of the modern fasting intermittent fasting movement essentially it was written by a guy named Ori Hoffmeckler who was uh sort of breaking the fourth wall here by <laughs> by like now semi addressing the audience but um i figured you know i don't want to assume any knowledge but he was a former israeli special forces soldier and we became an artist that was his like primary job as he was an artist and uh at some point i mean he was always interested in human performance and so he was researching how people ate in the past this is how the story goes and you know he discovered intermittent fasting and then he thought back to his own experiences as a as a an elite soldier and all this other business and, uh, but I remember it was like, it had to have been three months, four months. I don't know. Every morning I'd wake up and I would eat sugary cereal like I always did. But instead of not thinking about it, like I never did. Now I was like, I should really be eating better. I should really be, you know, I already started lifting kettlebells. So I was kind of more, and I'd found something that was like, gave me some direction in my fitness, but every morning I was like, I should really not be eating this. I should try this fasting business. And then finally, one day I was like, I'm not going to eat anything until the evening. And then i did it and i remember i was like okay i think i got the hang of it and then i just didn't go back but it was like all at once there was still this buildup, but it was like i built up all this pressure before i did it and then bam it was like for the next 10 years that was basically how i ate and i the reason i stopped was because it just it didn't suit my goals anymore i mean it's still a perfectly fine diet i just my goals kind of changed and i wanted to i wanted to put on more muscle um it, it is conceivable that you could do that on that diet but it's significantly more difficult to just cram that much food into your gullet like uh even for somebody like me with a a prodigious appetite um but uh but the other thing is that for a lot of the other changes that i've made i've found that um very small commitment every day but you have to commit to it a very small commitment every day um works very well for a lot of people and it like takes a lot of the anxiety out of it like i recently a couple months ago i uh, took on a this is like a volunteerism thing I wasn't being paid for it but the it was a former student of mine from Hebrew school wanted to learn Hebrew like modern spoken Hebrew and uh, and I and because I speak it fluently and I learned how to speak it on my own because again I'm like a nut job and I you know took on this task as a as a teenager I was like, okay, I'll I'll show you some of the stuff that I've used over the years that I found work for me. And so one of the things that I, I tried to help him with, and it really seemed to like get stuck with him is I said, okay, now, imagine I told you you have to learn a hundred new words a day. Like, do you is it, do you think you could conceivably do that? He was like, yeah. And I was like, what's your anxiety level around the, just the very thought of doing that? He's like, it's a high. So I was like, okay, what about fifty words a day? And he's like, still really high and i was like okay what about 25 he's like it's not as bad and then i said what about 10 he's like oh i could do 10 for sure and i was like okay so your only commitment every day is to learn five new words not even 10 just five okay because now we know 10 is already not you know not going to be like conceptually it's not going to be hard for you five is going to be even easier and realistically speaking you know like until you get into the into the swing of things um even ten will start to seem like within about a week or two, it'll start to seem too difficult. It's not, but unless you have like, unless you have really good footing with learning a foreign language, a lot of times it's just going to feel a lot harder because you just don't know what you don't know, and you know what the next steps are, how to how to absorb a lot of vocabulary. It's going to seem more difficult. And I did the same thing with the listening portion of things, writing, uh, reading, and I said, you know, like for reading, all you have to do is like read a headline. That's it. Like that's your commitment. You can you can do more. That can be your your goal. But no matter what, you got to at least read, let's say, a headline of a newspaper or a or a sentence. And likewise, just write down one sentence every day using one of the new words that you learned. Uh, it could be about your day. It could be about anything. And uh, and he said it was far more helpful than anything he had done up to that point. And um, I think part of it is because. We're so reliant on habits, and as you know, he's a teenager. But as we get older, like it becomes even more obvious that like you try to make a huge change all of a sudden, and this has just been my experience, and it's it can be really really difficult for people. Like they've got so many other routines and habits in their life that that demand a lot more of their time. They have a lot less downtime and a lot less freedom, and uh, it's easier to wedge something in and then expand it as time goes on when they can make it a priority. Uh, and so the mistake a lot of people make is like, I'm going to learn to swim by jumping into the deep end. And you know what? Because I like a challenge, I'm going to wear lead boots. And then it's like, you're going to abandon those lead boots and get out of that pool real quick. You're not going to learn to swim very well. But uh, that's just some some of my experiences, um, for sure, because I think uh, what you did, you know, you've got a good strong mentality about a lot of things. So you knew what you needed to do and you were like, I've decided this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. Um, And uh, I think if anybody can do that and stick with it, they're going to see awesome results like what you've seen, you know. Um, But I would also tell, I always, I also tell people like give themselves permission to do less. As you start to succeed, you're just going to be like, I want to do more and I'm going to make my commitment, you know, 10 minutes a day instead of five or I'm going to make my commitment, you know, let's say reach out to two cold prospects at work or whatever instead of instead of just one or you know whatever the case may be um and uh so there're a lot of ways that things can work and the key is making sure that you find one that you're honest with yourself and you'll find one that actually suits you well yeah absolutely
0: yeah on on the almost complete opposite end of the spectrum from like the 3 hours of deep work is just a 5 minute time block yeah you know, I I worked with uh, Max Shank years ago, mm-hmm. and one of the myriad of things that he's uh, known for is uh, his five minute flow program. Yeah. And so we were powwowing about kind of how he came up with the the concept, and you know he was just like, you know, he came out with um this is really taken aback if anybody remembers ultimate athleticism.
1: No, I remember that. Which idea. was,
0: yeah, which was this uh, you know, not not complicated, but it was this workout program and ebook that featured, you know, deadlifts and handstands and dips and um, you know, just kind of calist, you know, advanced calisthenics, advanced barbell and kettlebell work. Um, that was, you know, it was a really great resource. It was this tome of like super like great functional strength training um and as <laughs> is often the case he's like yeah you know I, I put out all this stuff and some people don't get past the third page a lot of people don't get past the third page and he's like you know so so how can we continue to help people but make it even simpler not make it more complicated our our initial inclination is to make things more nuanced more complicated more complex more detail oriented he was just like what is the smallest simplest thing i could do to start building momentum for people's fitness and he was like it came down to like joint mobility and five minute time blocks Mm -hmm. and so he so he built the five minute flow uh program and routine off of that simple idea and he very much kind of extrapolated that principle into into everything in life. So one of the first things that I did was I bought a little kitchen timer that you know I just I keep on my refrigerator, and there's something very powerful, maybe in the monkey mind, that comes from physically the tactile sensation of pushing a button. Yeah, <laughs> You know, it's, you could just think in your mind, oh, okay, like for the next five minutes, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to write, I'm going to read, I'm going to exercise, but f- you know, flipping a, an hourglass or pushing a button, it's like, that is, that is the, that is the trigger. And oh, yeah. it's also fundamentally different from using your phone. Cause again, you're tapping on your damn phone all yeah. day. But having something, so again, I still have it on my refrigerator and it's always just set to five minutes. I just think, okay, what do I need to do? And sometimes like literally it'll be, you know, I'll be sitting on my computer for hours on end. I'm just like, I'm just going to pick up my kettlebell. I'm going to do a suitcase carry around my place for five minutes. It's almost like one of the best things you can do. Yeah. So I get up and even though I could do it without pushing the button, I still do. Yeah, so I still use it as as a very powerful tool. And again, I you use it to overcome inertia and to uh, reduce the the bar for success. You know, if you've got a big book on your bookshelf that you need to read, it's like, man, it's easy for a big book to sit on your bookshelf for years on end collecting dust. But if you just push that button and you're like, I'm only going to read for five minutes, you'll at least get through a page. Yeah. And more often than not, it's like, well, five can turn into 15, but even if it doesn't, you have still set into motion a very, very powerful thing. And even, you know, speaking to what we were talking about earlier with, uh, switching between tasks, um, You know, I used to have kind of a morning routine that would involve, you know, warming up, joint mobility, reading, writing, meditation, um, you know, practicing guitar, making breakfast, all this, you know, various chores, various things I had to do uh, either on the computer or around the house. And I'm just like, okay, every five minutes, I'm going to do another thing. I'm going to do another task. And believe it or not, you... Again, you kind of start to gamify it. It's like, how much can I get done in five minutes? How many emails can I reply to, you know, that don't necessarily require a super thought out response? Yeah. Or how many emails can I just process to get to inbox zero in five minutes? Or, you know, if again, you know, as I'm sure you do, you know, you've got... You got joints. We've got all these joints, and we got to move them. And we got to move them every morning, else we'll get crackly by by the afternoon. So five minutes, neck, shoulders, wrists, elbows, T spine, hips, knees, ankles. Boom. Can we get it all knocked out in five minutes? Yeah. And and again and again and again. And so yeah, that's uh that's another powerful tool. So we've got we've got two ends of the spectrum there. We've got blocks of deep, long work where ostensibly we're just kind of focusing on one big task or project. And then we've got the five minute button. And for that matter, if you've got three hours where you're working on something, maybe every 30 to 45 minutes, you hit that five minute timer and you get up and you take a walk, you get some water, you move your body around, whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, some some kind of fun fun ideas we're playing around with you.
1: I think, yeah, I think they work uh, better than people would think. Like so often I'll tell people to do stuff like this and it's like, you know, I think in part people, especially on the fitness side of things, people think that there needs to be some level of uh, entertainment involved. And I actually respect that. You know, I don't, I, I i think my training's enjoyable even if it's not like, even if it's predictable. Um, so I don't think it needs to be boring, even though very often so called boring training can be very effective. I think um, the the key that people need to understand is that, well, you're currently doing zero. Okay. And you think five is not going to be enough. Well, five is a hell of a lot bigger than zero. So at a minimum, it is going to be enough. Like it's, you don't have to, you're not committing to doing this like till death do you part. But you, you if you can at least commit to doing something like that for like, make it something again, like non anxiety inducing, like seven days. Like, if you won't commit to doing that, then don't, you know, don't kid yourself that you're going to jump and do something else. Because if you, meaning like you jump, I'm going to do 30 minutes of exercise every day and I'm going to do, some people can do it. You would know if you were that person because you'd be doing it. Okay. So, right again, don't kid yourself. Uh, I think a lot of people make that big mistake. But yeah, I, I also agree about having the kitchen timer. I need to get a new one. I, you know, I used to have one. I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this. I don't remember what the circumstances were. Something went wrong one day and I needed something to throw. I was like just so angry and I just picked up the timer that I had that I used to, you know, like set aside 45 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. And I just like overhand hurled it at some cinder blocks that I had in my in my room or living room or something like that that I used for like handstand push-ups and the like and whatever and just smashed it and it just went everywhere. And I haven't bought one since. I really probably should and maybe a slightly more expensive one so that I will look for something different to throw because I recall this was like a $7 thing I got at Walmart. But yeah, it was better than having the phone around being like, Oh, uh, how, how much longer do I have? Oh, somebody texted me. Well, I'll just check this one, you know, message on Instagram or, well, okay, you know. Um, but yeah, having something physical is a huge, a, huge like a timer of some sort, huge benefit. And I, people, it's, it does sound dumb. You'd think, well, what's the big deal? I'll just use my phone. But if you're on your phone all the time and it's a source of distraction, just find a different way to, you know, I right, right now, like I use a clock on my computer. It's a, similar, like a countdown timer. And it works. I mean, I don't think it's as good as the one that I, you know, have to crank by hand or or set by hand, but it still does the job. And uh, I can't... There's nothing on the clock except for the clock. So there's no chance that I'm going to see an Instagram, you know, uh, a notification or a Facebook message or something like that. So makes a makes a huge difference if you're eliminating distractions to the best of your ability.
0: Yeah, I think maybe we could even write a terrible around your your situation there you got angry and you killed time
1: oh i like that you wasted
0: you wasted time you got angry and with with one with one toss you time flew literally you literally time flew oh my god (laughs) exactly exactly so there that's a it's a powerful metaphor or parable there
1: absolutely and uh, in the end the uh the net effect was the same as killing time i made it fly i made it die and uh i was the one who ended up having to spend the next couple of weeks like again i didn't drag myself to walmart to pick up a new one so i used my phone again killed probably a lot more time so it, it ended up being uh an unwise decision but again, at the time, it's very uncommon of me to break something because I'm angry. So whatever it was must have been like I must have really been on my last nerve because I, I can't even think of the last time I broke something like out of anger, but uh, it wasn't even that long ago. and it whatever it was must not have been that consequential because I actually I really cannot recall what it was. I just felt the need to like destroy something cheap. so that's probably why getting a more expensive one would maybe make more sense
0: there you go uh maybe somewhat of an odd segue but as we um as we kind of start to wrap up here i think this has been a really fun and useful conversation for people to hear especially around this this time of year mm-hmm. um but you are someone who has has really put your flag in the ground with minimalist style training you're obviously a a super well-read, intelligent uh, coach, and um, and you're always you're always expanding your horizons, but always also refining um, the basics. So, I guess two quick things. One is I'm curious to hear about your um, experiences at this most recent uh, kettlebell uh, workshop or certification that you did in Nashville. I know we talked a little bit about it while you were here in town, but um, yeah, this for maybe people who are listening, uh, um, maybe who aren't familiar with um, oh, I I forget the I forget the guy's name who was you're not familiar. (laughs)
1: Let's see, no Cliff Harsky, yeah, he's yes uh, yes 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 yeah Cliff Harsky, very uh, funny guy, great sense of humor. Um, He. He did go through. I think it was RKC back in the day. I mean, he's gone through so many different workshops, and that's one of the things that I liked about him is he's got a he's very like, um, very well rounded, and he's got a very particular approach to kettlebell training, and it's one that I see a lot of value in because you know I you you described what I do as minimalist, and I I think in the sense of the equipment. That's probably a pretty reasonable thing. Cause it's like, you know, I don't I'm not a big like you need to have a fully loaded gym and a gym membership and it's got to be the elite membership and you've got to have access to all this equipment. But I would say in terms of the movements and the approach that I take, it's definitely less minimalist, uh, even though um, the material that you need, like maybe a couple kettlebells, some ground, bullet bar, maybe some rings definitely qualifies as minimalist and um what was interesting about what cliff was teaching and so he this is like a subset of what's called the ppsc uh group or certification there's a the pain free performance um i'm gonna mess up the rest if i if i try uh, specialist certification that's right and so they have pardon me a, a, a mobility they have a mobility one i believe um, the one that I went through was the Functional Kettlebell Training, CERT, or FKT. And um, what's really cool about it is finding all these different like angles to be able to move in. And Cliff made a really interesting point. He said, uh, on a couple of different occasions, but he he mentioned this at, a, uh, I believe also at the CERT, that, you know, you think about the basics like in basketball, which would be, I guess, like free throw. I'm not a basketball guy. I have no idea. I don't know anything about sports in general, honestly.
0: I was gonna say these are the last two guys right here that need to be talking about basketball.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it was let's say one of those moves where you have to throw the ball. I think it was a free throw. And he said there was a coach who um really tried really tried to drill his his uh athletes that you should be able to throw a free throw in a variety not just in your perfect stance in the ideal like best leverage, everything, but even when you're when you're off off balance, off base a little bit, at a different angle. You should be able to perform at all these different angles. So he would have them get good at the, you know, the one that they were best at, and then work on something totally different. Meaning, like change the angle up a little bit, but try to get the same result. He said, you know, because it's 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 unpredictable on the basketball court, and I think there's a lot of value to that in our training too, because you think even just like you hinge, you know, for the basic kettlebell swing. Well, you should definitely get good at that. I mean, you can't can't overlook it but it also is valuable and we we automatically see the value in like one arm swings hand-to-hand swings so it's not just all two hand swings you know um but he would he taught how to make it a little bit more complex in the sense that there were not more steps necessarily but there were more skills that were required for the simple you know flexion of the hips and then extension of the hips and it wasn't just swings it was also snatches it was squats presses get-ups all these different things and um I, what I really liked about it was that he built uh, one skill on top of the next, so that it was easy to pick up the the next level, which is the ideal way to to teach for most people. You start with something, uh, you know, a little bit easier, and then you add a little something to it, and a little something more. In some sense, it was kind of reminiscent of the times that I trained at, at Ido Portals' gym in Tel Aviv. Um, the particularly, I really liked taking lessons with Roy Goldschmidt who I think is uh, really, really bright. and But that's one of the f- ways that he would run the classes. We would do like a movement thing. And, and like, it wasn't just him, but also the other uh, the other instructors like his his uh, sister, Odelia, and um, Liav, who was another instructor there. Start off with like, here, we're just gonna crawl across the ground. Okay, now we're gonna crawl across the ground, but we're gonna move our hand like this. Now we're gonna move the opposite foot like this. And now we're gonna do, so it's like each time you're adding just like another layer. And I think it's valuable because even though people need to learn the basics, um, I think a mistake a lot of people make is they're like, "Well, this worked at the beginning, so now this is the only thing that I need," and uh, and then they, you know, within a few months they're stuck, they're having a hard time, you know, making new progress. Totally normal, but uh, then they start developing aches, stiffness, discomfort. They don't move as well, you know, they're 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 feeling more brittle. And our bodies are meant are meant to be pliable. You know, we're meant to move in a lot of different ways. And I don't think you necessarily need to move in a lot of different ways with a kettlebell, but you're going to need to move in a lot of different ways and find and find ways to make it enjoyable. And if that's possible to do it with a kettlebell and also still get you the strength and conditioning goals you're after, I think uh his was a great, a great cert to learn all that stuff at. So uh yeah, I thought it was awesome. It was definitely well worth the the uh the energy, well worth the travel, well worth the time that I spent on it, and I got to leave, I got to meet a lot of cool people as well, including some that, that you know very well, like Sav. She was very cool, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think she would probably tell you the same thing, is that it was like, uh, it, I think it's a good compliment to like what we do in Strong First, which is very much focused on, you know, on the foundational movements, getting really good at them, building up really good skill. And then from there, I think uh, if you learn how to how to add a good amount of uh, complexity, athleticism, and and other things like that into your training, you get a lot of uh, a lot of benefits that you wouldn't otherwise expect. So that was my experience in a nutshell. And I and I think I've done a pretty good job of giving you like an old school trailer where it like makes you want to learn more without feeling like you've seen the whole movie. So. Um... <clears throat> That's my trailer for, yes, for the FKT cert with Cliff Harsky.
0: Cool. Yeah, man. You know, it's so important to continue learning and expanding your horizons. Mm -hmm. And that can come in many forms. I think, you know, reading books, I think investing in courses, mentorships. um, But, you know, again, like I am always harping on, there's really no substitute for getting in the room with other people in, in a learning environment, like a workshop, like a seminar, like a, like a certification. So yeah, it's something that I uh, wish that I saw more of our colleagues doing, making the effort to travel to these things.
1: I agree. I think uh, in particular, in some sense, like the principle is kind of similar to setting the timer on your, on your kitchen timer. You know, it's like when you're in a new place, and you're there for a specific purpose you're more tuned in whereas you know we had a couple of years where everybody was doing everything online and it's certainly more convenient but you, you don't really get the same sense of um number one camaraderie with other people because you can't meet them and shake their hands and spend time with them and eat with them and learn their life story. You know, it's like they can just turn their screen off and you could be distracted by emails and, and things like that. So yeah, I think that uh, traveling to learn and and go through workshops is hopefully not a dying art because I've got a couple myself coming up that I'm going to be teaching and I hope that people will show up to them and not expect to do a Zoom call. Um, but uh, it's putting yourself somewhere where you're like, okay, I'm doing this today and I'm focusing on that and I'm going to be tuned in and I'm not going to be distracted by the things I'm normally distracted by. I think that's key to learning. I'm, you know, I, again, I think it's great to be able to do like sort of the correspondence learning, like buy your own course, do it at your own pace and all this other stuff. But there, like you said, there's really no substitute for doing the in-person work. Yeah, man. Well,
0: cool, dude. Well, as we wrap up, uh, leave us with what you are up to this year.
1: Oh boy. Well, uh, you know, I have a lot of things, uh, in mind and a lot of things planned out, but I I don't want to, um, I don't want to go into too much detail because i not because it's all secret and nobody can know, but because I know me and I know that very often if I say I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing, and people are like, way to go. Good for you. I'm like, well, got some validation. (laughs) You know, that's, uh, that felt pretty good. So, uh, but what I will say is that, um, over the course of the last couple of years, I've spent a lot more time putting together, as I mentioned before, this is how I view it in my universe. I call it the Hammerverse. You know, uh, courses, programs, challenges, and guides, and they all have a different role to play in helping people to achieve their goals, and and primarily through kettlebells, calisthenics, and natural human movement. Um, you know, I don't do a lot with barbells. I think they're great. It's just not really my it's not really my wheelhouse. I don't know enough about it. Um, but those those specific things and particularly for people who are busy professionals uh like to train at home uh they like to let's say maybe make up for some of that lost time that you know you and I talked about because I was very much the same as you kind of a, a geeky dude for most really most of my life even even now because I haven't been lifting for most of my life yet and um you know feeling like I can I can build strength and I can make progress that I didn't make before. I, I know that there are so many other people out there like me who don't really have the, the 15 years that I put in to figure out the path on their own. And so I want to show them the short path. It's not going to take 15 years, but it's going to help them to, you know, as best as I can help them avoid the the roadblocks and the speed bumps and, you know, all the other annoying frustrations and kind of speed things up. There are no shortcuts but there are fast lanes and so one of the big things that i'm working on this year is opening up a few new fast lanes with some new courses and programs and challenges and stuff like that in addition to the ones that i've currently got out and um i would say for anybody who's interested in at least getting a taste of my overall approach uh and in in line with what we talked about like just having a very short period of time to you know, spend on any particular thing, but stay consistent with it. I have a nine-minute kettlebell and bodyweight challenge, which, as the name implies, only takes nine minutes to do, and it's designed to be done in conjunction with your regular training. So it's it's something that if you don't have a a current program or anything, it can certainly work in place of it. But if you're already doing something, it's it kind of is like um, like a, an accelerant in some sense, or or like an amplifier. So. Uh, it's it's learning how to use the gait pattern the body's most natural movement pattern like walking right but adding strength to it via you talked about loaded carries earlier those make an appearance for instance crawling is another thing that makes a strong appearance in it and using these things to help you to uh, basically fill in the gaps in your training and in your in your development and very often people write to me and they'll say hey it was cool. My squat got a lot stronger. I was able to squat deeper or, you know, my press got stronger. I was able to lift a heavier weight. Or I was able to press, you know, for more reps. I even had a guy some years back who did a crawling challenge of mine who, uh, I think, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to give any exact numbers, but I remember he did, what the number I do remember is he did eight pull-ups in a row and he'd never done that many before. I, I want to think he could only do four or five before that, but all he did was crawl. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, crawling is the only thing you need to do to, to, uh, improve your pull-ups. But the point is, is that, um, movements like this very often help you to unlock abilities that you've already got within you that are just kind of like chained up. So, uh, if you go to nine minute you can, you can give it a shot yourself. It's free. Um, uh, just go to the number nine minute and, uh, give it a try. You know, I think if you find it, uh, enjoyable, you might find a lot of my other stuff enjoyable as well. And if you've, think, you know, it's not really my thing, you know, no hard, no hard feelings, you didn't spend any money. Um, And uh, you tried something, you tried something new. And uh, hopefully that puts you at least in the direction of where you're hoping to go anyway. So even if it's not my direction, it'll at least tell you, okay, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't, this doesn't really speak to me. But uh, like I said, if you're interested in kettlebells and body weight and natural movement and, you know, uh, being stronger, more resilient, I think, I think you would dig it. So that's what I would say. And then, of course, you'll uh, have an opportunity to stay updated on the other stuff that I'm working on. And um, I'm sure, Zach, I'm sure I'll give you plenty of sneak previews as well. So you can be on the lookout. In addition, you'll get the sneak sneak previews that not even, you know, sub- subscribers or or listeners or whatever would normally be privy to.
0: The sneakiest of previews. It's,
1: exactly. No sneakier than the type of preview that, uh, that Zach is going to get. So be on the lookout. But yeah, so in short, I would say best place to keep uh keep abreast of what i'm working on as well as just you know in in contact with me or in my in my swoller system as i call it you know the hammerverse uh, would be 9minutechallenge.com so start there and uh expand outward as you see fit
0: dig it well Ax, it's always great chatting with you man um so wishing you much health wealth and happiness here in this new year and we'll chat again real soon
1: i look forward to it